Hello everybody and welcome to episode 13 of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts Lewis Cleland and Clark Burrow. This week on the show we are absolutely delighted to welcome another very special guest. Jamie McBrady, Dundee Youth Under-14 coach, is with us today to talk through his career as a football coach and how he uses mindset strategies to encourage young players to reach their full potential. Jamie is also a growth mindset manager at Leisure and Sport Dundee and has a wealth of experience in the mindset field. Having worked with Jamie on developing mindset resources and teaching strategies for teachers, I know his passion and enthusiasm for helping others to reach their full potential. This is why I'm delighted to welcome Jamie onto the show. All right, Jamie, good to see you. How's things? Things are very good. Thank you very much. Yourselves? I were well. It's been a while. It's been a few years since I've seen you. You can cross primary. I know. Has that been a couple of years already? Must have been at least two years ago that oh, would have been. You came down. Thanks for It's good to see you. I know. It's good yeah. to see you, though. No, welcome onto the well. show. Thank um, you. Right, dive right into it then, Jamie. Would you be able to tell us a wee bit about yourself and your coaching career to date? Yeah, um, this is going back a bit now. Uh, coaching, I started coaching um, probably about just just over 20 years ago, maybe 22 years ago. Um, I went to, to college to study sports coaching, sports development. Um, and whilst doing that, uh, I became a volunteer coach, did a bit of coaching with various different clubs, different um, different sports. And uh, yeah, I just got into flung myself right into it. Um, football is obviously my passion, so um, I did a lot of volunteer uh, coaching for football clubs. Um, did a bit of volunteer work for Dundee Football Club in the community side back in the day, and that kind of just progressed to doing more community stuff. I became um, did a bit of full time, but on the community side for Dundee Football Club, did a bit of stuff on the, on the academy side, um, and that continued over the years, um, on and off for the past twenty odd years. Um, also coached at the an adult level as well, um, at junior level. So I was assistant manager for five years with uh, one of the local clubs up here in Tayside for for West End, and actually mm-hmm. took the club when they went into abeyance, got they got uh, demoted back to the bottom league, and my five year plan was to get them back to the Super League, which we achieved, um, which was great. Good. So uh, yeah. So I've, how, I've, how many years have you been at Dundee then? On and off for about twenty, just over twenty years. Have you? Yeah. Football, brilliant. Yeah. And um, yeah. Was, what was your sort of first spark into coaching then? Was it from a good experience as a PE student at school? Or how did you get into it? It's actually an interesting story. Um, I was actually doing higher PE. Um, I was injured one day. Um, we were doing athletics and here's me trying to using a few choice words to motivate my classmates to get their finger out and get around the track a bit quicker. Um, I was actually a supply teacher that I had never met before on that day um, came across to me and said, do you know you would make a really good coach? Um, now, no saying I was troublesome at school, but there wasn't a lot of teachers that gave me some compliments. So I thought, I kind of like the idea of this. Now, I knew what a coach was. Um, it had never crossed my mind ever to go and think about this. And I ran off to my guidance teacher and I said, okay, I was a bit of disappointment. I couldn't get into RAF because I'm colorblind. I wanted to do something either work towards a pilot license in RAF or be a PT, but I couldn't access the forces because of colour blindness. So I was kind of, wasn't stuck at school, but years kind of stayed on. And I thought, it go show me this pathway in terms of coaching. And we got the Dundee College prospectus out and had a look at the courses there. So there was an introduction to sports coaching and sports development. And I went for that. Uh, and I've never looked back since. 
Well, just shows you how important your feedback can be when you're working with, with young students at the time, you know, and how your words can make a big impact. Huge. That's a good, that's Huge. A, that's a great it, story. Was it always um, football that you were involved in, like when you first started coaching, or was it kind of multi-sports? Because I know the majority, like coaching courses not at college, you can, you're, it's open to what you want to do. Or like you can cover a broad range of sports, is it always football you've been involved in? No. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was a, a, an old lecturer, Ian, Ian Campbell. He actually used to coach with Dundee United as well. He said, if you've got an opportunity to get any qualifications, grab it. Which pushed me into a whole range of different sports. Now, I loved multi-sports when I was younger. When I was at primary school, high school, um, I was on the badminton team, the basketball team, the volleyball team, the football team. So I just loved playing in a range of sports. Um, and it was exactly the same when I went to college. You know, I was coaching basketball, table tennis, gymnastics, um, yeah. dabbled, dabbled in a bit of aerobics at the same time, got my lycra on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we better aqua fit in that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, the same with that as well. You know, it was, I think about was I was also a swimming teacher. And so, you know, I, I, I dabbled in a whole range of things. Because I just, yeah. I, loved, I loved the art of coaching. I loved improving. I loved um looking at the progress an, an individual can make due to your the word you're using or to the impact yeah. you can make so I absolutely thrive on that just trying to get people to be the best versions of themselves that, that's interesting that you say that because I can't remember who it was we had on we were speaking to them about the importance of an athlete like at a young age like not specialising in one sport too early having a broad range of sports so they can see the relations between the sports and the movement patterns and all that and it's probably the same as a coach as well like developing a, mm. a well-rounded coaching style through coaching different activities. Absolutely. Um, one thing I've learned over the years is that you never stop learning. Mm. And it's not just older, more experienced coaches you learn from. It's anybody who steps into coaching. And that's one thing I love about um, you ever been on the, the coaching licenses down uh, with SFA. You know, the guys who are taking the courses, are the tutors are saying, look, we're here to give you guidance. Um, we'll show you a couple of examples. But it says, listen, you're here to learn for yourself. You're here to, from, to learn from one another. And all these coaches that are very experienced, I say, we learn from you as well. Um, uh -huh. So it's, you know, having that culture and that atmosphere is so much more uh, supportive and nurturing. And you, you yeah. can go and express yourself. You can be brave. And I'll say, that's one thing I do when I go to these courses. I'll do things on purpose that I think will not work just to see what feedback I get. Um, right. and so, who, so who was your tutor then, Jamie? Who did you have as your tutor? So, uh, B licensed my tutor was, it was Jim Fleeton and my God, Billy Stark. Oh, um, and, and then my A licensed, I've had Stuart McLaren, um, Chipper, yeah. um, Brian Rice. Oh, the, um, the two of them are mine as well. Steve, Steve Keen as well. So, I don't know. Chipper's knowledge, wasn't he? he oh, was probably, I, I mean. just, just not his knowledge. He's just such a down-to-earth guy. Listen, all that. Um, and yeah, they treat, treat you with respect. There's absolutely no egos. Um, and, you know, you're given the, the feedback that you need. Yeah. To, no, that's to pretty, pretty high level of them as well. Um, when I was down there, looking back to what Lewis was saying, like with the specialising in, in a sport early, it's a, it's a myth, isn't it? That you need to specialise early as possible. And if you want to get into college or become a professional sportsman you need to do it early it's not the case we can learn from each we can learn from other sports and as a coach as well you can take um, skills and tactics and stuff like that from transferable skills across each sport 
Um, of course you can. There's so many stories out there now. Um, so I've been doing a couple of Q&As. I've been involved with a couple of Q&As uh, with Dundee just for the young boys to keep them keep them ticking over. Um, so past couple of weeks, we've had um, Charlie Adam on, you know, Gordon Strachan, obviously he's involved with the academy out there now as well. But more yep. recently, um, we also had um, Graham Shinney just last week. Um, and Graham so Shinney... So you want to talk to your team? Yeah. Um, and Graham Shinney actually didn't get... Uh, picked up from an academy until he was yeah. 16. Um, and, you know, fast forward um, a few years later, he's, he's then club captain of Inverness Cali. Inverness Cali. Um, so I think Stuart Armstrong had a similar story as well. Like he was in a, never went to academy football until he was 15. So, you know, there's, it, it depends on a lot of different circumstances. I've got, a, I've got examples of people coming into sport an early age and, and burning out, you know, ages, ages 13, 14. And, you know, as a coach, you're going, my goodness, what have I done? You know, some really, um, some great potential. And they've maybe got Oscar Slatters, they've held the game for about three, four months. They've went and started mucking about with their mates again. They've brought them into a different routine. They've went, wait a minute here. What have I been doing for the past six, seven, eight years? Uh, I actually prefer this in terms of doing that. So, yeah, there's so many things that take into consideration. Superb. So what's your coaching philosophy then? Uh, how do you, how does Dundee want you to coach? Is there a certain style that you stick to with under-14s? And is that aligned with the first team? No, listen, we've, we've got the freedom to express ourselves as coaches um, in terms of our philosophy. And that's a beautiful thing of being a coach that you, know, you can put your own your own values across. Um, you get the opportunity to, to express yourselves and, and learn. Keep, that, keep an open mind in terms of learning. But yeah, listen, it's never been a better time having Gordon Strachan at your side on a regular basis, putting across his knowledge of the game, giving you little tips on what to say and how you're saying it and what to focus on, things you miss. It's been an up, it's never a better, better time for me being a coach. It's absolutely fantastic. We've got such a, such a pedigree right across the academy. Um, at Dundee from Gordon Strachan, Stephen Wright, you know, former managers such as Barry Smith, former players, Kev McNaughton, Scott mm-hmm. Robertson, Gary Irvin, um, all the way down, we've got lad Kevin Garrick who's running our, our, our junior academy. It's, it's absolutely magnificent and we're such a great bunch, but there's a, there's a loose, loose kind of framework of what we're kind of all working towards, uh, but I still provide you with that flexibility to, for you to be a coach, uh, if that makes sense. So um, do you put a lot of focus on the sort of softer skills and the life skills? Um, yeah, but more importantly... Developing the technical skills, you know, from a from a very very young age. Uh huh. Sorry, somebody was trying to phone me there. Um, so putting the technical skills in from a very very young age, um, and that's something that God has started massive on. And you know what he's saying was was you know backed up. I speak to Charlie Adam this week and Graham Shinney. Um, last, last night I was on a call with Aaron uh, Gunnarsson, uh, the Icelandic captain. Um, mm-hmm. And regardless where you are across the world, you're it's all about early age, putting in hours of kicking the ball off a wall, off a fence, first touch, the ball's coming at different trajectories, different spin, you're taking it on your back foot, you're using your opposite foot, repetition, repetition. So when you're coming into games, you're actually not having to think about that technical part of the game. You can get your head up and look across the park, you see the, park, the park's bigger, you get to see different things, you see movement of players, um, and then... It's just about you becoming more competent at the tactical side of the game or the physical part of the game or emotionally you're, you're starting to tune into how you 
how you tap in and use your emotions effectively to the best you can be. So in terms of my philosophy, it's very much about improving that individual. Um, it's about preparing them for whatever stage they need to go on the next and essentially getting them prepared for the news that they don't want to hear. And how are they going to how are they going to react to that? Yeah, in case you don't get kept on. So so do you focus on that uh, tactical side of the game at, at under fourteen? When does that sort of come in the shape? Yeah, um we're no big on sitting to one shape, um, regardless of what shape we're playing against. Um there is almost a system I've got in place to think about when we're out of position, how do we make that pitch smaller, how do we condense certain areas of the pitch? And then when we do have the ball, we're more expressive and we can expand and we can use the width. But one thing we're big on is if we're one out of the park and we've, got, we've not got some of the opposite side of the park to get our width because there's no point. We'll bring them in a bit, uh, um, bring them more in the park so that they're involved. That'll be a, a, a loose possession. Then we've only got five, ten yards maximum to sprint to, to win the ball back rather than you know, mm-hmm. being a, a wide and having to run all the way back down the 50, 60 yard um, recovery sprint. So there's lots of these sort of things of that age group, keeping it dead basic um, and then allowing them to learn the game at their own pace as well. Right, so I'm going to move on to a, a more mindset um, based question. So what mindset strategies have you used when coaching young players and how have you used these approaches? Um, I suppose what I'm going to say You've got different mindset strategies to use at different, when different things happen, either when you're coaching and training or when the game's going. Essentially, what you're trying to do is, is try to get players of whatever age that become the most effective decision makers that can be themselves. So when something's not going so well, they're not looking at the touchline to come up with the answers and come up with the solutions. They're actually having the, the confidence to go and try it for themselves. And it doesn't come out. As you can learn from that and move on again. So, so, so in terms of building that resilience, it's I suppose putting across that mistakes will happen, but how do they learn from those mistakes? So, it's mm-hmm. using that set of language um, that only becomes a learning experience. By the way, if yeah. you're in that same situation again and you do something differently. So, what I find what I'm finding certainly the players these days versus five, ten years ago is that the levels of resilience are nowhere near what they used to be. Um, an example I had when I kind of was out of football for about a couple of years at the youth level, came back and I took on the 13s and I couldn't believe the amount of tears the players were showing. For yeah. Simple things like, right, you're, you're coming off for a rest for a, wee, for a few minutes, wee man. Tears. Um, as you're starting on the bench today, wee man. Tears. Today we're going to actually, instead of you playing out wide, we're going to play maybe in a deeper midfield role. Tears. Just the most no coping with can't go with the change. Just, even just that change, you're actually telling me to do something that's different. Mm. Um, or them running to mum and dad to say, I'm not happy, and mum and dad coming to me and saying, my wee man's not happy. And try, as Part of it is trying to educate the parent at the same time to say, yeah. we've got to prepare these young people. And what I mean by the news that they don't want to hear, that's not just about, by the way, we're not going to conduct you about your development. It could be something different. It could be... Mm-hmm. Anything that is not the norm to them, and how do they cope with that? Yeah. Um, do they roll the sleeves up and wire in, or do they continue to chop on doors until they get the answer they want? Because that's 
you know, yourself as being teachers, you know, some parents yeah, are not to get the answer they, that, that they want. And I'm not saying, not tarring all parents with that brush, but we've got to build up this self-efficacy for young people to actually solve problems themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've experienced it myself as well. Like, I dabbled with a bit of coaching, because I did the, the coaching route at college and that, and I worked with Thistle Weir, um, which is a yeah. part of the Thistle community stuff, when I was in my first couple of years. And um, I was eventually had to get around. There was only like seven asides, so we went from five asides to seven asides. And some of the um, like the things for just like minor little things for like a couple of minutes extra game time and all that, you would get it in the neck for it. And it's just like, come on, like you try to do your best with what you've got. And um, I yeah. guess it's just try to get the parents on that one side, which is could sometimes be the challenging part. I know, I know. Right. So next question. I know it's not an overnight process to achieve lasting change and progress, but what research or reading of that have you come across to inform your practice? So what have you kind of done um, throughout your development? Um, I continuously read. Um, I read um, a, lot, a lot of books. So you, simple books such as like Mindset with Carol Dweck or Bounce by Matthew Side, The Talent Code, Daniel Coyle. Um, Anything that they've got authors um, explaining why the why the great become great and why the good just become good, um, and looking at the the experiences and the marginal gains that people have got and why why that is. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, and then just just listening to coaches, looking at you know, listening to podcasts. Um, I follow guys like Alison McCaw, or people from the business world as well. Um, there's, there's, I make sure that I've got a, a broad range of people that I listen on a, on a regular basis and read mm. that I might then go and try, have the courage to go and try things, but also reflect on, it gives you, gives you a bit of confidence that sometimes you're doing, you're, you're doing what other people are saying already. Um, mm. So that, that, some, it doesn't need to be complicated. You know, a lot of people are saying the same thing, but just differently. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when, especially when you talk about growth mindset. You know, you know, growth mindset has been here forever, but it just hasn't been labelled as growth mindset before. But you know, it's a simple concept that people can understand what that means. Whether you're a coach or a teacher or a parent or a young person, you don't need to go to university for five years to understand what growth mindset is. You know, there's simple ways of developing that mindset to believe that you can improve. Um, mm. So how do we? How do, how do you create that? And, and, and it's learning from different cultures, different leadership right. styles, mm-hmm. you know, what coaching yeah. actually is, uh, and so on. Yeah, so, yeah. I, th- I think it's important as well, like, as, as teachers, it's important for us to have that kind of lateral thinking as well, like to go across other subjects and get out of education, get into business, get into football coaching, get into like, athlete coaching as well, and learn Absolutely. from other sectors. As you said, like, you like round off a few people there from different backgrounds and cultures it's about learning from everyone isn't it and developing your own approach it is and I, I think now um, in terms of football and where football is going especially in Scotland what I've, what I've loved from the, the past uh, couple of licenses we've been on is really opening my eyes at how do we learn from the business world in terms of what we're doing in sport but more importantly how do we learn from pedagogical approaches within education that can help our coaches and our learners mm. i.e. footballers and youth mm. football so introducing our coaches to words such as metacognition or growth mindset or um, or restorative practice, whatever that might be, but actually saying this is where it actually already exists. But when we're mm-hmm. actually putting coaching pedagogy together at whatever level, do we get coaches, regardless of the level of qualification, you've got to understand how a footballer learns. 
understand how a player develops, to understand mm-hmm. how what you do as a coach impacts on the outcomes that your footballers will have, rather than just being a scoreboard mentality, or rather mm-hmm. it just be the progress they make in terms of football. Um, and this is where I, there was a guy, Steve Salas, I don't know if you've heard of Steve Salas. I've listened to his podcast. Ah, educating football. On the SFA, SFA website. Oh, brilliant. And obviously he came up to do the air license. So unfortunately, it was postponed due, due to this predicament. And I love just how he was um, putting across these kind of these pedagogical approaches you've talked about from school and academy football, uh, metacognition. Uh, Is it Mullwall, better, better thinkers. Sorry? Is that Mullwall, Millwall. wasn't it? Yeah, no. Millwall. But these key things here, I, I absolutely love it. And obviously, Don McNaughton has been doing a lot for, for years as well uh, with his approach um, in terms of just really thinking about mentally how that really impacts, not just on how you perform, but the decisions you make. And it's something we've got to really focus here in Scotland. Is that why we've got some crack in football? Everybody's got a group of mates who was a magnificent player and were questioning in the pub over a pint. Whatever happened to him? Oh, he didn't. He never made it because of this or because of that. Um, how do we provide, get, get a safety net where we capture these these players that maybe lack the resilience um, to help our, our national game to to really to really start to fly? Because there's so much learning we can do about getting young players to be okay with not feeling okay. And actually, that's part of the process of feeling uncertain about what the next stage of the process is. And when you get under 16s. They should be determined to get that contract for, for a full-time contract rather than saying, you know what, I think it's safer for me to go play with my mates because I don't want to hear the news I don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's um, so prevalent just now, isn't it? The the mindset in, the, in sport in particular. Yeah. Um, so, see, with regards to my last question, how do you then get coaches, parents and players kind of better aligned with your vision um, to get them to buy into what, you are, what you're doing? Um, so what we've started to do um, Dundee in particular is have kind of a parental education programme. So bringing parents together at all age groups on a regular basis, um, usually once a quarter, um, to introduce them to, 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 to these areas, to, this, to these subjects, um, not overall them with too, big, too many big words and put it in the context to understand their player's journey so far, um, making it fun, making it light-hearted, but then giving them some tools as a parent they can take away and it's essentially getting the parent to maybe reflect on their level of emotional intelligence mm. and the questioning and the language they're using <coughs> when they're with them with their players and the coaches the same as well um so it's so we're, we're kind of all we've got a consistency of language across kind of ages and stages and uh, we're doing exactly the same um and that's what we found really is really beneficial now so as you Coming at a club at under nines, you're getting a consistent message through every single age and stage. Yep, yep you're starting to enhance it and develop it um, and add in more layers to that. But really making sure that we're, we're providing the best information to the to the parents and the players as, as we can and the coaches um, to, to really understand that taking the most up-to-date and contemporary data we've got to make sure that we're developing players in the best way. And yet we know the stats is not every player is going to be that first team player, but if we can develop a range of transferable skills that young people can then take into other sports, maybe to, to a lesser level of football, or maybe prepare them for scholarships in other parts of the world, or if they want to start their own business, then we know we've, 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 we've made an impact 
on mm-hmm. on a young person's life, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think um, it's good what you said, like how you get the parental education programme thing and ultimately it's just about educating everybody that's involved in the, the club or whatever it is you're doing so that everybody knows why you're doing it. I think if they yeah. know why, then it's, it makes it easier to, to go for it and people understand. But I think that's a brilliant, brilliant idea. I think, I think there can be a lot of uh, comparisons made between schools and clubs. Um, and can, in terms of managing the parental expectations, it's the same as for a teacher as well, having to manage their, their expectations. But I think you need to involve them in the process. And there's a lot of work being done in the education kind of sector yeah. along, alongside family learning. I don't know if you've heard of that. So it's similar to what you're yeah. doing. Um, educating the parents. If you can educate the parents and get the buy-in from them, that's going to make a massive difference to the development of the of the child or the player for me as up to a certain point you know it's the parent who makes the decisions around <clears throat> consistently turning up for training what's on your plate for for particular meals yeah. um hydration levels when do you get to your bed as a mm-hmm. when do you, when does your mobile phone go off um how does this all link towards um just those marginal gains in terms of that performance so after training are you rehydrating yourself Preparing for the match on a Thursday or two days before, educating the parents in terms of what what, what they need to eat, educating the parents in terms of the language that you know they're using. How does it fit to lifestyle planning in terms of it's overwhelming, especially start to go through the ages that you've got all these things. You've got exams coming up. You've got to be training for a particular time. Actually, you're, you're actually performing at a decent level. That was pushing you up a couple of age groups, which means maybe even more pressure uh, to play with older older players or. Actually, you've got the first team manager now who's watching on a regular basis. So mm-hmm. it's really taken into consideration all these different factors and variables at the same time, but supporting them and, and making them feel as comfortable as possible. At the same time, we're trying to build that resilience. Yeah. At the end of the day, the parents want what's best for them as well, don't they? Same as, uh-huh. same as the coaches and teachers. So. Definitely. Uh, so, what, so what's your absolute must uh, to include in every coaching session, Jamie? What's important for you in terms of your delivery? What's... The sort of key things, three key things that you would include in any session? Um, first thing is tempo. Any session has got to be um, specific to what you're prepared for. So obviously, depending on what time of the week it is, um, there'll be different um, fitness elements that you're working towards. But in order for any training, the tempo's got to be high. There's, you know, there's got to be a pace about the game or the training. Uh, players need to be challenged. Um, they need you know to challenge their thinking processes, um, and that keeps you know the amount of times when we do that, you've got players at the end of the session saying, "What is that? Time up already?" Mm-hmm. And that's when you know that you're having a good session uh, when players are, are consistently. You can have a laugh because it's usually the same players that say it all the time, um, but <laughs> that's when you're up. So, so, so how do you get that tempo? How, how do you get that if it's really low some nights at the start? How, how would you get it? It's up to you as a coach to, 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 to make sure that's better from the start. So depending on what your function is, you'll know which exercises demand the most out of your players. Now, there might be times when you've got to stop session and say, oh, boys, this isn't up to, up to scratch here, it's not up to standard. and um, you, you might sometimes take a step, step in there, but you've got to understand the, the, the practices that you've got. You know, you, the certain times you want, to get, you want to get across key coaching points. But as a coach, you know, you can't be reading War and Peace every time you stop a, a session. Big point. And the boy starts on, like, here he goes again. Another mm-hmm. two-minute spiel of how to control a ball. And we're back in again. So you've got to reflect on 
How often do you interject? When do you coach? Do you coach whilst the function is going or the exercise is going? Do you stop? How, how often do you stop that? That will impact on the tempo of the game. You yeah. know? So it's letting it flow, isn't it? Um, and especially up here in Scotland, you know, depending on what the weather's like, you, you can't do that. You can't, you can't afford to do that. Right. So you've, there's got to be an element of competition in there, high standards. And, and yeah, you'll, you'll start to know as a coach which exercises, which functions get the best out of that in terms of that yeah. tempo. Um, the second one is that is, is challenge. Um, there needs to be some form of challenge in there where it's pushing players to the edge of their learning. Um, and like I said, that's a challenge sometimes when you've got different levels of players within your session, mm. but you'll start, you can then start to put additional um, probably limitations on some of the players in terms of touches, in terms yep. of what they can do with the ball. Um, but once you get to know your squad a lot better, you can start to do that. Um, so tempo, challenge, and the last thing, you know, is, is, is fun. You know, is, is, is making it enjoyable. <laughs> what I mean by that is that, yeah, it's not just about having a laugh, but it's where you can see the players are absolutely thriving from the session you've put on. And when players are thriving, then it means, in terms of what they're learning, they're enjoying it, which means they're not, they're not scared, which mm-hmm. means they can express themselves, which means they can retain information, which means when you're going into games and they've enjoyed it, you know, neurologically, when they're in that same situation in a game, they can recall that quicker um, yep. and go and do that. So if you put the three together, if you've got the tempo at the same level as a match and the challenge the same level as a match and the enjoyment in terms of learning and in terms of how much you love playing a game is the same as a match, and then they go into the game situations, then you're almost mirroring the game, if that makes sense. Now you've got yeah. me excited for coaching already. I think it's also like important in um, teaching as well just like teaching B just it's the exact same ah, one, same all stuff, three man. of those and it's a, it's a recipe yeah. for success it's, it's um, important right so Jamie in your line of work how important do you feel role models are for young people in developing things like motivation resilience and um, achievement um, role models Depends what you mean by a role model. I would probably say real models. You can take a role model um, and look up to somebody, but it needs to connect in terms of what you want to improve on. Mm-hmm. So right. what I mean by real, real models, it's how do you mirror the characteristics that somebody has got that you may then want to try and practice in whatever field that is. Um, so, for example, football is an easy one. So when you're watching somebody you look up to on the TV, is that person, you're a centre-half, you wouldn't be watching a striker on a regular basis. Is that your role model? No. If it is, then how do you replicate some of the characteristics that they've got that you can then use in your position? Um, so what I encourage young players to do is when you're looking at somebody, who do you look up to? You know, who inspires you? And what are the characteristics and the behaviours that inspire you? And what would you then try to replicate and mirror? Because what we are, you know, what we are, we are kind of the, we're the average of of the people we mould ourselves on. And we are the average of the five people we spend most time with. You'll have mannerisms and the way you speak and the language you use. You know, that'll be a mix of the people you're in, that you, you're surrounded by on a regular basis. Which yep. means that if you watch and study people regularly, you can almost replicate what they do, if that makes sense. Yeah. So whether you're on the pitch or in training or in other walks of life, 
Um, it's how you lead, um, how you manage, how you support, how you discipline. You know, you'll watch not just the ones that you that inspire you, but there's probably some people that you think I'm not going to do that. You know, it could be managers or coaches or, or leaders or people you've worked with in the past. You say that's probably something I won't do. So I suppose it's been really reflective, but also learning yourself, provide yourself the the space and the freedom to find out what motivates you, what drives you, um, how do you develop that. In terms of that resilience, that resilience only comes over time from experience um, as you get more mature in certain situations. So, you know, again, it's understanding that's that's a journey as well. Um, but really, in terms of achievement, you've got to really think about the goals you're setting. You know, as goals only achieved when you've got something that's tangible or do you actually set these small mini goals and reflect on what are these um, what are those marginal gains because we're we're often ones we only only celebrate achieving a goal when we've got a certificate or a medal or a trophy or something significant a salary a certain amount of money how do we review goals more regularly um, how often do we spend going over in our heads the times when we've not achieved something or when something's went wrong or there's been a setback and we're up all night thinking about it and we're attaching all this emotional negative energy towards it. So the first time you go and think about setting new goals, the first thing your brain saying to you, how oh, you've got no chance. Then it'd be so yeah. set, set more realistic goals. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we had a culture where we could publicly um, celebrate our achievements without the normal response of, well, check you. Um, and anybody, you know, this this notion of boasting or bragging or uh, being above your station, being a bam. How mm-hmm. do we overcome that? We attach more positive energy to these achievements and we spend more time reflecting on that achievement and why we got that achievement. And we go, when we come down to setting new goals, our brains actually say to myself, you know, actually, let's go a bit, let's go a step further. Let's go a wee bit, let's go push ourselves. And the athletes you you research and the ones you hear about I, know, I don't know if you guys are watching The Last Dance just now yeah um, watch that you know, amazing man I could watch it again actually <laughs> and you know having that level of it's not even just confidence but to be the best you've got to look different you've got to be different yeah and how much and it, some people call it sacrifices in terms of sacrificing time with your friends and your family to go and really focus on what you really want turn that word and change it to investment how much are you willing right. to invest in yourself and the time you dedicate to yourself and even if you haven't got that level of success, like Michael Jordan, if you want to be better, I said, let's get back one again. And Alex Ferguson was also one for that as well. You know, might have just won the league or done something and that same week, right, let's get back around the table again. Let's make sure that we don't take the foot off the gas. Um, Gary Neville's been um, recently quoted as well, but saying how maybe Man City have took the foot off the gas and you know, I maybe don't have that consistent consistency of being champions on an ongoing basis. That once you've become the champion, you've got to then continue to work as hard, if not even harder, because people are after you. That's it. So, so it comes in a kind of poor set of values and poor set of characteristics that you've got to work on on a regular basis. Um, I was speaking to Aaron Gunnarsson last night. I was asking him, is there any difference between the culture across Ireland as a teenager versus what he knows about the UK culture in terms of the drink? And he says, well, no, really. You know, there's still the, the same distractions over there as there is here. But he just went back to, you know, he had his goal, his passion, what he wanted to achieve. He wanted to be the best. Um, 
that's got me really thinking. We, we sometimes blame a lot of the stuff in terms of our nation's progress and qualifying for major tournaments and the kind of the talent we've got to, to select from. Is it really different from what we've got elsewhere in terms of that technical? Because you could argue that what we've got on offer in Scotland just now has been probably the best we've had for a while. But what is it? What what is the difference between a nation like Iceland striving to get to the quarterfinals of major tournaments and a nation like Scotland just striving to just get into that tournament? Um, is it to do with the technical part of the game, or is there something about other part of being an athlete, a sports person? Um, of that drive and that determination of that togetherness he talked about in Iceland that togetherness that Icelandic team have got as soon as they walk in a hotel they're like we know regardless it could be coming from squads where they're on the bench no, they've got a lot of game time but as soon as they walk in that hotel room they're like that's it we know exactly what is expected of us we know what we're going to do together and that's it. the level of expectation we've got for one another are way up here um, mm-hmm. the relationship I also think that mindset that we've got is a kind of glorified failure mindset that does my head in you know what I mean? We've kind of got that culture in Scotland where we just never quite get there. And we yeah, quite, we're always quite happy with that, the way we speak about it. Because if it's accepted, that obviously feeds its way down. Well, that's the thing. You talk about mindset. You know, what, do we, what do we subconsciously, as a nation, and as players, and as coaches, and as management, and as backroom staff, really believe about our chances of getting to that next big tournament? You know, when we've got a bit of momentum and we've maybe had a you know a series of good results, are we really thinking that's it? This is it, or we're deep down going right? When 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 are we going to trap? Oh, this is too good <laughs> to be true. But we didn't. Know, maybe, we don't, maybe we didn't openly say that. Maybe we, but when we're, you know, when from a performance perspective, we're training, key situations in games, key decisions being made, whatever it might be. What do we truly believe about where we? where we want to go because we are the result of what we think about essentially um, so that's, that's why I find it really interesting um, where you've got the same group of players but over two seasons they have two different sets of results and why is that? Yeah. Big role Big deep, job, isn't down to the coach as well isn't it? Uh, uh, yeah I think there's a, there's a big huge role and responsibility down to the head coach and the relationships you've got with your players but how you reflect on previous seasons or previous games how do you how do you revise or kind of renew the kind of goals actually they set goals is there a is there a certain things you you strive towards on a season do some do some teams just turn up train play review Turn up, train, play, review. Is that a cycle? Is it, are they working towards anything? Is there, is there sub goals? Is there, is there short term goals, medium term goals, season long goals? Not entirely sure. Is that actually quite cheesy? That's not the culture we've got up here. We don't speak that way. Um, mm-hmm. That's uncomfortable. Um, or is that where we tap into other businesses and start thinking, well, there's some huge successful businesses globally that have got particular systems in place. We footballize these and train people to deal football as a business in regards to performance, what would happen to performance if we did that? Well, let's hope we still get to Euro 2020. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> there is a chance. There's a, there's a huge chance. 
know. Um, I think it, it's so, interesting about the, the whole belief thing. It's just like a cycle, isn't it? Like if you've got a, a high level of belief, and we've spoken about it in another podcast, like if you've got a high level of belief, then that taps into the amount of potential that you have and it just goes round. Then you achieve your goal, then you're like, whoa, I can actually do that. Then it just keeps. But then if you've got that as a, a negative, a low self, low self-belief, then it just spirals negatively. Like it's just... Absolutely. Well, you ask anybody to say, what is mindset? How would they, how would they define mindset? Mm-hmm. Because essentially your mindset is your set of beliefs. That's, that's yeah. all it is. It's your beliefs about... You know, and mindset is a buzzword that's used yeah. in different sectors, in different scenarios. Oh, the mindset for that and the mindset for that. What, what does that mean? Yeah. What does it actually mean? It's actually your beliefs about you, about your capabilities, about your potential, about where you're taking it. But most, more importantly, as a coach, is what do you truly believe about the people you're leading, you're coaching, you're managing? Because that will come across in your level of relationships, your communication, how you speak to them, your actions towards them, without you even knowing it. Yeah. Um, I think, so that, I think when you're talking about, Iceland, sorry, about Iceland, uh, togetherness, I don't know if we've got that togetherness in Scotland, if I'm truly honest, in terms of, if you look at the last few games, with the fans not turning up, you know, there's there always seems to be some sort of inner conflict in Scotland. I don't know whether that's down to the old firm. But for me, I, that, that was my, that's my kind of view on it, is there's no togetherness. Um, I don't know if there maybe was back when they almost went through to the 2010 World Cup, was it? When they get put out of Italy, remember? I don't know yeah. if it was different then, but the last few campaigns, there just hasn't been that togetherness. I think that's a massive thing, obviously, coming from Iceland. Yes. Yeah, and things have changed over over, over the years in terms of... If you remember going to Scotland games, regardless of who you were competing against, um, there was that family feel. We're turning up, we're a Tartan army, we're going to back you all the way. It's interesting that we're still back for my football team away few away games or more than home games. Mm-hmm. But it's obviously put it in the scenario of if you're a if you're a wee boy was going to play football each week and he's doing magnificent for his wee Sunday boys team. He's winning each week, you know, he's getting all these accolades, he's scoring goals. And then in December it gets a wee bit colder, he doesn't like the snow, the cold, um, he stops storing goals, he doesn't play so well, he's actually on the bench. As a parent would you say, you know what, I'm not turning up. I'm not turning up. <laughs> you're not competing. You're you're not playing. You're not performing. Yeah. Would you do that? Um, and no. I suppose when you talk about that togetherness, there is something there. You know, we're only coming if you're performing well. Yeah. Oh, that's and, that. and, that's and, that. and once that's 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 kind of start. What starts it? It's a difficult cycle to get out of. Yeah, it starts to dwindle, and, and then that loyalty is broken. And then that's unconscious pressure you then put on players and team and in order to please the fans yep we need to win because Jürgen Klopp's big Jürgen Klopp's big on that isn't he he tries to align everybody together from the the fans to the coaches to the players he's really really strong on that you can see that it shines through him that takes a high level of emotional intelligence of really reflecting on relationships you've got with everybody um, as a manager, uh, you know it's not just a bit the team putting the part. That's everybody, and how do you treat everybody? How do you adapt to everybody? How do you really understand um, what makes people tick? And yeah, that takes a bit, a bit of time to really reflect on uh-huh. that and build up a set of skills to do that. That human interaction, can you treat everybody the same? Absolutely. It's like Alex Ferguson knew every single member of staff in Old Trafford by their first name. I just think that's. Yeah. 
that's invaluable, isn't it? Yeah. You go across any successful team in the past, and and everybody will say exactly the same. You know, um, Pep Pep Guardiola was exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, the dinner lady took all the way through. Um, you know, knew everybody, and that's just that's about a set of values that somebody puts. Yeah. You've got an organisation that's got a set of core values that the leader is. You know, that together become up a sort of a core set of values that is, is a level of expectations that everybody creates. Then yeah. everybody's clear on what they're working towards and where everybody fits into that journey, regardless of how minimal you think your role is within an organisation. You yeah. all play a part and you feel a part, that sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to learn of people like that and organisations like that. Mm-hmm. Right, my final question of the day is within your work with schools and communities have you seen any successful community or school interventions which have fostered positive attributes like resilience and grit and had like a lot of success with it yeah um one of the high schools that was kind of pilot high school in the city around mindset i don't think they were aware of just how much an impact they had um, because I did a, a lot of research that we never got, actually got around to publishing um, what the young people were saying. But I had the privilege because the research at the time um, and I had to be PDG check, I, I could have sat on interviews. So I just sat in a corner, pretending not here, um, and, and, and got on with the questions. And I was asking a set of four years, you know, the whole thing around growth mindset, the whole thing around um, the kind of motivational climate bouncing back from challenge and setbacks and honestly I was nearly in tears with some of the responses that the young people had this was only after two years about introducing the whole concept of mindset and how to embed it in pedagogy and different ages and stages of the curriculum and so on parental engagement but the, the responses the young people were given it wasn't very much about um, levels of attainment improving levels of attendance improving or exclusion rates it was more about them actually seeing the world through a different lens. You know, simple things such as two, two years ago, I never had a group of pals. I was quite lonely, quite isolated. Now got the, the confidence to, to go and meet with others my own age. One young person never had the confidence to go and do um, a study to another country, to Germany. Um, and she said, what was it down to? She said, it was down to the subliminal messages we've got assembly every day around, around growth mindset. Um, wow. And sometimes as teachers, you think you're repeating yourself again and again and again. Is this really going to the young people's heads? And you've got most of young people in high schools this time, you mentioned growth mindset, and they go, oh, here we go again. That's all the teachers go on about. But when you're subliminally repeating a consistent message, there's somebody listening all the time. Mm-hmm. And it might just be yeah. that, that catalyst for them to say, I'm going to try this. I've got proof now that this works. I've got the confidence now that I can take responsibility myself. And things start to change. And there were so many different examples in that one we set of 10 young people that I interviewed that were talking about, I've got a negative feeling result, that would be me. I would chuck it. But actually now I really understand that I've got an opportunity to improve. I've got an opportunity to, um, to reflect on what went well, what never went so well. That's up to me uh, as a learner to improve that. <clears throat> and there was just so many stories like that that you kind of you haven't got the time through an, an academic session to gather the feedback of young people, those be yeah. subliminal changes and those will be marginal gains to the year after, that without them actually articulating themselves, 
well, this is having an impact on their mindset, it's having an impact on their confidence, it's having an impact on their resilience yeah. that can then really push them onto other things. And I'm sure you guys as teachers, some people have utterly surprised you. Where did they come from? Wow, they used to be like mm-hmm. this and quiet. And, and what's happened there? And how often as teachers do you take the time to reflect and say, oh, we're actually doing all right here. And there might not necessarily be a, the report card showing levels of attainment improvement or there's just something you can see that's different in a child or a pupil or a learner. You can't quite put your finger on, but something's happening. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I think sometimes you can be so busy when you go with I'm saying I think it's about patience as well, like not just expecting overnight results and just keep, yep. keep going with it. It's like anything when you start something new. It's just about not expecting overnight results because it's a process. It takes a wee while for yeah. things to bed in. I think that's um, a good point you made. Yeah, I think it's as a, as a teacher and a coach as well, you probably know, Jamie, sometimes you can be so busy trying to actually assess and measure the impact can be difficult. Um, yes. And it seems messy. You don't feel as if you're getting anywhere, but it just shows you what you can be when you really have the time to get them to reflect. Then the results yeah. you get can be really emotional as well. <laughs> And that's the thing as a coach and as a teacher, um, how do you define success? Is it that short term, actually before you leave here, I've got a certain level of standards that you need to meet and that's my level of success? Or is it people bumping into you 5, 10, 15 years later saying, you know what, I remember you. I remember you as a teacher, the impact you've had in my life. It's huge. And as teachers and coaches, you sometimes never ever see the impact you've actually had on a person's life because it's beyond the hires they've got, it's beyond... And that five yeah. I've got is actually you've given them a set of skills and belief that they've overcame particular challenges and setbacks due to the relationships they've had with you. Yeah, I think that's more valuable than any attainment in other attendance, yeah. as you said. So no, that's a great point. So moving on to quick firing, Jamie, I know you've not seen the questions for this, so I'm going to put you on the spot for a few here. Just kind of quick, respons- quick responses if possible. Uh, so if you had a giant billboard in your hometown in Dundee, what would it say? We become what we think about. Perfect. Love that. What books have had the greatest influence on your life? If you pick one or two. Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. Think and Grow Rich. Let me read that then, get that on my list. What advice would you give to an apprentice about to enter the working world? Or what advice would you not give? You can answer that in any way you want. Um... Keep an open mind, um, always. Um, you'll never be the best version of yourself, but you can always become better. Right. Superb. All right, so, Jimmy, for every episode, we always have a key takeaway message, and out of respect, we always let the guests go first. So from anything we've spoke about today at all, what would your key takeaway message be for the people listening? Um, the key takeaway is what do you really want um, from your life um, and who is it in your head who says that this can be achievable or not because what I've learned over, over the years is that we're, we're often led by the opinions of others but what do we truly want and what really affects us because yeah, that's fine. Well, pleasing others in terms of we almost comply with 
what, what we think people, what we should do for other people, but there's a limit what we can actually do because sometimes that's scary going against the grain. It's scary going against what other people think. And sometimes you might, you might lose people along the way, but to become the best version of yourself, can you be true to yourself and really going to express yourself and be the person that you can truly be? Brilliant. Yeah. Love that one. Clark, what about you? There's been so many good things, we golden nuggets that Jamie said throughout this podcast. It's taken my fancy, but I'll go with um, the growth mindset intervention that Jamie was doing in the community. Sorry, in the school that he was he was working in a few years back, and the feedback that he got was the pupils look at the life and the learning through a different lens, which I thought was brilliant. You know, it's it's not just about their attendance or, that's, or measuring the exclusion rates or measuring their attainment. It's very much about how they think and how they how they feel about themselves, you know, and Jamie said as well, and how how they reflect on their learning, which is massive. That they kind of sit back, reflect what went well, what didn't do, what didn't go so well, and they're always looking to improve, which I think's a great great success for that intervention. And they're always looking for that, those marginal gains, which mm. uh, in turn builds a confidence. So that was really really significant for me. What's yours, Lewis? Uh, I like the bit where he, where we spoke about how it's not a you're not making sacrifices to become the best version of yourself. It's it's more of an investment, and I think that's a, a much more positive way to look at it. Um, mm-hmm. Investing in yourself. If you invest in yourself, then you can give yourself the best the best version of yourself to others and to whatever it is you're going to do. But if you don't, then you're just going to get mediocre results. And I think that's very important. So rather than looking at it as a sacrifice, look at it as an investment. And your own personal development. It just, show, just shows you how like change, changing, changing those words is, is, is changing how we think and that meta recognition now. Now we're thinking about it in a more positive light. So yeah. if, it, if it impacts us, then it'll impact everybody else. Yeah, exactly. So thanks very much, Jamie, for coming on. That was a brilliant. No, guys, episode. thank you for having me. Thanks on. a lot, man. I appreciate it. I loved it. Really enjoyed well, it. Um, thank you. You'll be, able, you'll, you'll be able to see it on Apple and Spotify. Um, and we'll send it over to you. And you can and YouTube. share it as well. I'm joking. I went for a run this morning and uh, I have to get a haircut, I, isn't it? No, well, actually, no, I did, I did I it myself. Um, well. but no, I went for a run this morning and I've, and I've been in my gear since this morning. Um, so um, I've just been back to back. So um, I said I could have quickly put a bit of a broccoli one, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, who, who, where are you? How climbing? Oh, something in the Facebook? Yep. No, it's just obviously uh, the a lot of here in Dundee, so I'm just I'm literally um, a mile away from it, but I'm just I just tie myself up to incline, uh, so I've not done it for a while. So that was the plan how today. That you, how far what, the incline? What do you mean? The, how far is it run? Is it like a? Oh no, up to the top. It's only there's only about two kilometers. Right. Okay. Um, but I've, I've been going, I'm not I'm not doing anything more than five paces now. Um, but I like on a Thursday to do um, either kind of some hill splits or some kind of hill. Yeah. Um, but it's only it's only about twenty minutes. But I guess the legs working, gets the breathing. But oh, good, good stuff. Right, well, that's us then. So thanks again. No, thanks you're very welcome. Thanks, guys. Good to meet well, you. Okay, yeah, you too, Lewis. And uh, keep in touch, guys. And I'm closer to happy to jump on again another day. And best luck in the summer. Right, thanks, thanks very much, mate. Cheers, Cheers guys. Bye, See you yeah. Bye-bye. Well, thanks again to everybody for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. I think that was another fascinating chat with a guest who is just clearly passionate about what he does. 
We absolutely love having these chats because we learn so much from them and we're able to take things and implement them within our own personal and professional lives. It's absolutely brilliant to see the impact that the podcast is having on others and we've received um, a lot of emails and messages to say that they're really, people are really enjoying it so that's motivating for us to keep it going and it's the reason why we have these guests on the show. As always, if you enjoy keeping up with the podcast, we would really appreciate it if you would give us a wee review on Apple and Spotify. And if you do see it on social media, please give it a wee share and let people know what it's all about. That way, you're helping others access this information that you find valuable and feel that helps you. We hope you have a cracking week and we will be back next Monday with another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Take care.